Well, good morning. It's good to see each and every one of you. I invite you if you have a Bible with you. There's one in front of you. If you have it on your phone app, you can open it to Mark chapter 11. If it's the Bible you're looking at, it's page 847 of the Chair Bibles. That's where we're going to be headed this morning. First, if you would just join with me in a prayer. Heavenly Father, we do pray and ask this morning that you would just now be here with us, that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive your word. Uh, for our life, your values, and pray, Lord, that I may not misspeak it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm Pastor Craig. Um, it's an honor to be able to be here with you this morning. Pastor Tim is away, um, and uh, we're so glad that you're here, as well as those of you who are online uh, who are watching uh, the live streaming. Today we continue with our series, uh, Family Values, and my question for you is, how are you doing on those values? We're trying to take the values of uh, God's values, Jesus' values, and uh, incorporate them into our life, make sure our values align with His. Are you finding it a challenge sometimes? Are you finding it a challenge? You know, in our faith walk with Jesus Christ, we all face obstacles. We all face obstacles in our faith walk, mountains, if you will. Um, there can be difficulty uh, in our faith walk. Jesus knows that. He knows that. Uh, but I think that if we're honest with ourselves this morning, what we could do is we can come to the understanding, I think we could all agree, that what's keeping us uh, from uh, having uh, that walk with Jesus is ourselves, ourselves and our own sinful pride, and not wanting to let go of the baggage uh, that we're carrying in our life, uh, not being willing to forgive. Uh, back in February, the last week of February, Sue and I, we went to Florida. I don't know, it seems that every time we have a grandchild, um, when they get to be like three years old, we have to go to Disney. <laughs> because, you know, they weren't there three years ago. And so we got to go to Disney. We've been to Disney like, you know, six times. So anyway, we were down at Disney uh, back in the last week of February. Great weather, no rain, 86 degrees. It was wonderful all week. Well, you know, if you know me um, real well, um, I have a tendency to always look at the future. And so all week long, I'm looking at the app on the phone as to what the weather is going to be like coming home, because we flew. And um, all week long, you know, I, we got in on Tuesday, and it was like Tuesday evening, I'm looking at the weather already for Sunday. So all week long, I'm watching the weather. They're predicting this really powerful uh, polar storm here in Detroit. You know, remember, if you remember correctly, it was like, you know, 500 below zero and 100 mile an hour winds or whatever. And so I'm watching the app, and I'm like, all week long, I'm saying to Susan, I'm saying, I'm thinking, and I said, honey, I think that we're going to get delayed or canceled. I don't think we're going home Sunday. She says, yes, we are. Sue's the positive side of our marriage. <laughs> she says, yes, we are. I said, mm, no. And she says, yes, we are. So all week long, I'm watching. So Sunday morning comes along. We get, on, we get to the airport. We check our baggage. We go through security. We get to the gate. And there on the board is our flight number, our destination, and it says, on time. I'm like, wow, she's right. I got the app open for Detroit Metro Airport that shows all of their arrivals. They're, and it's live, and it's all showing on time, on time, on time. I'm like, whoa. Across the hall from us is a flight to Buffalo. It shows on their board on time. I said, whoa. Half hour before we're supposed to board the flight, Buffalo got canceled. I looked at Sue, and I said, guess what? <laughs> she said, no, no, no. I said, OK. I was looking at the board like five minutes later. Canceled. <laughs> I said, told you. She said, hmm. 
So anyway, so we, we found a hotel to stay at for one more night. So we, now we've got to go back through security. We've got to go get our luggage. we got our luggage. Now we've got to get downstairs to get on the shuttle to get to the airport. And we're on the escalator. And this escalator like, felt like it was three stories long. And I have my 49.9 luggage, pounds of luggage <laughs> with me. And I'm going down the escalator. It's in front of me. And the luggage slipped. And now I slipped, and now I'm laying backwards on the escalator. I'm spread eagle, going down. Now, this happened to me once before. I was about this high. I was with my mom at Hudson's, and we were on the escalator, and I slipped. I fell, and my fingers got trapped in the bottom. They got chewed up in the bottom. So now I'm laying there in Orlando, going down on this escalator, and I'm going, I'm going to die. So I said to Sue, I said, honey, could you, when we get to the bottom, she, could you grab the luggage so I can stand up? She turns around and she says, what happened? <laughs> I said, I fell, I can't get up. <laughs> so we get down to the bottom of the escalator and she's standing there and I'm like, oh no, out of nowhere. Out of nowhere, there were two airport workers in yellow vests and the whole deal. I mean, these guys were like, real deal. They just happened to be standing there at the escalator, saw my predicament, and one reached over and flipped the switch, stopped the escalator, just before I died. <laughs> now, the Bible says we entertain angels, and we never saw them again. So I don't know, they could have been. But I, I got up, and I'm lucky I got, my, I got my luggage, and I looked at Sue, and I said, you know, all you had to do was grab the luggage. And she looked at me and says, I have my own 50 pounds of luggage. <laughs> you know, in, in our faith walk, in our faith walk with Jesus Christ, so often what's the obstacle, what's the mountain that gets in our way with him is that we won't let go of our baggage. We won't let go of our luggage. So we end up getting chewed up in the, unfaith, in the unforgiveness uh, that we have in our life. Nothing, it was no different for the children of Israel when Jesus walked on the earth. Now, there's a cure for that. There's a way to get rid of these, this mountain, this obstacle, this pride, this unwillingness to let go of uh, things in our lives. There's a way to cure that, a way to get rid of it. And that's to take the values that Jesus wants us to use, and that's faith and forgiveness, and apply them to our life. And that's what we're going to be taking a look at this morning. As we take a look, as we walk our way through Mark chapter 11, and that's exactly what we're going to do the reading plan for this week was Mark 11, 12 through 25. And we're just going to kind of walk through this this morning. And then we're going to take a look at those values of faith and forgiveness. I'm going to give you a little bit of a backstory, though, before we actually get into Mark 11, beginning at 12. And this picks up, Mark 11, 12 picks up on, on, what, on Monday, Monday of Holy Week, uh, the day after what we call Palm Sunday. And the account that we're reading today, this reading that we're reading today, has a parallel account, has parallel accounts in both Matthew and Luke. So if you take the information from Matthew and Luke, plus what we have in Mark, uh, we get a really clear picture, a very clear picture of, of what's going on and what Jesus actually has to uh, teach us today. And so um, on what we call Palm Sunday, Jesus wrote, in, and we're going to get into that in a lot more detail in three weeks. Uh, we're going to be reading that section of Mark. Um, today we're just a little bit ahead of it, but in three weeks we're going to back up and go over uh, that on Palm Sunday. So on Palm Sunday, Jesus rides into Jerusalem to the people, and they're all singing, you know, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes, 
in the name of the Lord. Okay? And then in Mark 11, 11, it says, He looked around at everything, but since it was late, he went out to Bethany with the 12 disciples. Jesus actually had gone to the temple on Palm Sunday. At the end, when he rode into Jerusalem, he actually went to the temple, and what happened there was he looked around. This was an inspection tour by the king. This was an inspection tour uh, by God. And the, the really, I don't know, unbelievable thing, I guess, is that nobody recognized him. I mean, he had been in that temple many times over the 33 years of his ministry, and plus he had just <laughs> rode into town, and nobody recognized him. But yet there was Jesus standing in the temple, just looking around. And what did he see? He saw corruption. He saw money changers. He saw, uh, saw uh, filth. He saw worship that was meaningless. He saw worship that was meaningless. He saw all of this going on, and he said nothing. He didn't do a thing on Sunday. He just went back out to Bethany with his 12 disciples. But then on Monday morning is when he came back into uh, Jerusalem, and that's where we pick up our reading for today. In Matthew chapter 11, 12 through 14, on the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree uh, in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, uh, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. This is the only miracle. This is the only miracle in all of the recordings of Christ's ministry where he condemns anything, where he condemns anything. He pronounces judgment on it. And it's kind of a, a strange thing to condemn a fig tree. A lot of people ask, well, why would he do that? If you know, He's condemning it for not having fruit, uh, but it's not supposed to have fruit on it this time of year. Why is he doing that? Well, this fig tree becomes a symbol for the nation of Israel, which we will see in, in just a minute. Now, I'm not a fig tree grower. I don't know anybody here who's ever grown fig trees. I don't even know if Michigan's the climate for fig trees. But I did do some research. And I, in my reading, what I found out was that fig trees apparently grow what's called prefigs. Prefigs. And these prefigs are really, they're not really very good to eat at all. They're kind of sour tasting and they're, you know, they're just not good. So, but what happens is if later on in the season, the tree, the fig tree grows the good figs. But if there are no prefigs on the tree, it will not produce the good figs, the fruitful figs later on. And so Jesus, he's hungry. He comes along and he sees that there are no prefigs on the tree. And he knows that it's not going to have any good fruit later. And so he condemns it. This tree had used up all of its resources. It had used up all of its energy, all of the things that was available to it. And it did nothing but grow really good-looking leaves. This tree looked healthy. It looked vibrant, but in reality, it was not producing good fruit. And so Jesus cursed it. And now it becomes a symbol for the nation of Israel. And so Jesus curses the fig tree. Next, after that, he goes to the temple. And we read in verses 15 and 17, And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? 
but you have made it a den of robbers. Now, Jesus did two significant things. He did two significant things that we read right there. First is, he cleared out the money changers. This was uh, Passover. Remember that this is Passover week, and that's the time that the people, of, uh, the Jewish people, are celebrating that time that um, God had called Moses to go to Egypt, if you remember, and bring his people out of captivity. And then he had told them to celebrate that every year. Well, that's what they were doing. That was the time of year. So they were celebrating uh, Passover. And they were at the temple. It's at the temple that they would go to worship and that they would go to sacrifice animals. It was the system that God had set up. They would sacrifice animals to atone for their sins. And the temple contained the Holy Holies. That's where God would meet with the people uh, in the Holy Holies, which was in the centermost part of the temple. That's where the high priest would go uh, and to talk with God. So all of this is going on. During the Passover, Jerusalem's population could swell to like 2 million people. To 2 million people. And so now you have to imagine, all of them have animals. They all have animals because they're at the temple and they're all going to be sacrificing animals. And so um, now you have all of this congestion and all of this noise. The animals are all lined up, uh, ready to be bought and or if they've been bought and to be sacrificed, to be killed. And so what Jesus does is he clears out the whole lot of them. Because what's happening is you could bring an animal from home and sacrifice it. If you did not or you couldn't afford it, then you could buy one at the temple. But Jesus had set up this system of sacrifice and atonement and worship to be free. The priesthood had turned it into a money-making operation, and they were charging exuberant amounts for people to purchase animals in exuberant exchange rates. So Jesus cleared all of that out. He starts turning over the tables. That's the first thing he does. The second thing he does is he stops the worship right in its tracks. See, he had set up, God had set up where during the worship service there were certain rituals that they had to carry out, instruments they had to use, and they would all day long, the priests would be leading animals across the temple to be slaughtered all day long, this parade of animals going. And then once they, were, once they were sacrificed on the altar, then they would have to clean the blood off the altar. They would take the carcass, burn the carcass, then they would carry the ashes in buckets back across the um, temple. So all day long, all of this traffic is going on, and Jesus steps in the middle of it. And that's, when it says, when that's where it says he would not let anybody pass. He stopped it. He stopped the worship. He rejected the worship. He refused to acknowledge it because it had no value. To them, it was just a routine, just a routine. So the people had lost faith in God. The Israelis, the Jewish people had lost faith in God. They had substituted faith for an empty procedure, meaningless ritual, a performance only, which had an outward appearance of being alive and fresh and fruitful like the fig tree, but really there was no good fruit there. It was because of his stopping of the worship service that now the priests, it tells us in Mark eleven eighteen, the chief priests and teachers of the law began to look for a way to kill him. So now they begin to plot to kill him. So now Jesus quotes. Jesus quotes Isaiah and Jeremiah, my house to be a place of prayer for all nations. They were a prideful people. They were a prideful people. They took pride in their works. They lacked true faith, and they had come to hate Gentiles, and they lacked the forgiveness 
of others. All because of the one obstacle, the one mountain that they had in front of them that was keeping them from having that fruitful faith walk with God. So, okay, so now what are God's values? What can we learn from that today? From all that, from the fig tree and from the clearing of the temple, what are the values that God is teaching you and I today? Well, they're the same ones that he taught his disciples when he told them the meaning of the fig tree and what had happened in the temple. In Mark 11, first value, God's first value is faith. In Mark 11, verse 20, now they've gone back out of the city after the clearing of the temple. Now they're coming back in again. And as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. So that's the first value that Jesus is teaching us. He's not giving us a how-to-do-miracles instruction here, but rather he's telling us how not to be cursed, and that is to have faith in God, to have faith in the living God, to have trust in him, to trust in Jesus that he knows what he's doing, that you're one of his kids through faith in him as your Lord and Savior, and that to have faith in him is the only way to have abundant life and to produce good fruit. That's the first lesson that Jesus is teaching, that he is the authority from God who gives by faith, who gives faith by grace through faith in him. But then Jesus goes on to point out to his disciples that this faith, to have faith in God, there's an obstacle that comes up in our faith. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Don't take this out of context. Don't take Matthew, or Mark 11, 23 out of context. Again, it's not some sort of instruction in how to go out and throw mountains into the sea. The mountain that Jesus is talking about is the obstacle that, they, that they, people have in front of them in the temple, okay? And that is their unwillingness to forgive, their pride and their lack of faith. That's what he is talking about. And so then he goes on to talk to them about the next value, and that is forgiveness. In verses 24, 25, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you for your trespasses. Pride, unwillingness to forgive is like a mountain. It's an obstacle that gets in the way of our relationship with God and our relationship with other people in our families and at the workplace and in and all places. When pride gets in the way in our unwillingness to forgive, what happens is we become self-centered. Uh, we only think of ourselves. Uh, we start keeping a record, permanent record of all of the wrongs uh, that have been committed against us. We get short fuses. We blow up over the littlest things. All of this because of our unwillingness to let go. We rehearse the wrongs that have been done to us over and over and over again in our mind, 
And when that happens is we keep refreshing. We keep refreshing and remembering it. Like, just cannot let go. Israel had lost its life. It had lost its faith because it would not forgive the Gentiles. It would not forget, forgive the Romans. Instead, they gathered up the robes of their self-righteousness and they stood before God when they prayed and said, thank God I'm not like them. God's values are faith and forgiveness, faith and trust in him and letting go of our unwillingness to forgive, to forgive others. But what does that forgiveness look like? What does that look like? Well, first of all, God's forgiveness inspires our forgiveness. Again, in Mark eleven twenty-five, and whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Does that sound familiar? Jesus taught the same thing in his sermon and what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Remember? When he taught us to pray, what did he say? Pray like this. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. That's what Jesus has taught us. When we pray, we pray that God the Father would grant us forgiveness for the sake of his Son, Jesus Christ, just as we forgive others. And there's a direct link. The direct link between our forgiving others, our being forgiving, being forgiven, and our forgiving others in our relationship with God. And the other thing about forgiveness is that we cannot forgive on our own power. It cannot be done. You cannot do it. In Colossians 3, 12 through 13, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Because you see, here's the thing. Forgiveness is an action of the will. It's a decision that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit turns us to Christ and the promise of his forgiveness. Like you, I have encountered a lot of things in my life. There's a lot of scarring. You can't see it. It's internal scarring from hurt and pain and people who have betrayed over the years wrongs perceived, uh, wrongs that others have committed against me. But I want to share with you, I want to share with you what I've learned, both from the Bible and from Christian counseling, when it comes to forgiving on our own power. And that is that when we forgive someone who has wronged us, we decide that we are willing not to take revenge. We're deciding not to take revenge, not to repay evil from evil, but instead to respond to evil by doing good when we have the opportunity. Now, if the wrong that is done is particularly severe, then yes, we can suffer emotional, spiritual emotional struggle and a difficulty in forgiving. And that forgiving could linger. It could go on for months. It could go on for some years. This is what I have learned. However, just because we may retain mixed emotions after forgiving someone, it doesn't mean that we are not forgiving them. Moreover, even if we find that we must forgive over and over again, 
It's still part of the act of forgiving. What I find myself doing is that when I start replaying something over and over again in my mind, this may be helpful for you. When I start replaying something over and over again in my mind, what I do is I stop and I go, Craig, stop it. <laughs> That's simple. And I say a prayer. And here's what I have found. That when you do that and you practice letting go immediately, the time and the space between the stop it and the remembering gets further and further and further and further apart and it fades. It just keeps fading and getting weaker and weaker. Doesn't mean you haven't forgiven them. There's an important spiritual distinction between finding it hard to forgive or even for a time being unable to forgive and being unwilling to forgive. There's a difference between finding it hard to forgive and being unwilling to forgive. There may be times when all that we can do is say, I'm really struggling here, Jesus. I can't do this without your help. You know, and when we do that, when we confess that, Jesus knows where you're at. He knows what's going on. And you can hear him grant you forgiveness because you're willing to forgive. But if you're going to look somebody who you think has wronged you, if you're going to look them in the eye and you're going to say, you know what, I know what Jesus wants me to do, but I'm not doing it. I'm not going to forgive you, ever. Well, that's something that really does need to be addressed. But there's a difference between finding it hard to forgive and being unwilling to forgive. And the last thing about forgiveness is that it's modeled after God's forgiveness. Above all, and above all, these put on, above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Christ demonstrated love for us perfectly. If we live our values by his values of faith and forgiveness, then instead of being self-centered and all puffed up and about ourselves, it becomes about others. It becomes about others. Instead of keeping a permanent record of wrongs, we keep a permanent record of rights. We become gentle and patient and long-suffering. So, these are the values that Jesus wants you and I to grab a hold of this morning. Faith in him and forgiveness. And remember these words, that when we pray, in Mark eleven twenty-five, 25, and when you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Faith and forgiveness. Those are the things that we can use to move mountains and obstacles in our life. I invite you to stand for prayer. Father in heaven, we are so thankful to you for all that you have done for us, that you sent Christ into this world, and that you gave your only one and son, your only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And Jesus, we thank you for going willingly to the cross to accomplish that for us. Even though we didn't deserve it, you were the first and only one to put yourself second ahead of us. We pray and ask now, Lord, as we go about the rest of this day and the week and the rest of our life, 
that Holy Spirit, you would enable us to live by faith and forgiveness. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit and who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.